Okay, guys, last session of the day. Thank you for everyone who's kind of still sticking around, you know. It's, it's never easy. It's never easy being the last session on the last day. But you know what? Anybody who's here loves fintech as much as we do. So it'll be good. So last session of today is fintech x blank. What could it be? All right. So this is the opportunity between industries. Uh, our moderator today is David Haber. David Haber from A16Z. So, all right. Let's give it up for the last one of the day. Let's go. Awesome. Should I grab that mic? Yeah, no, okay. Where you guys want to sit? Should I sit here? All right. Hey, everyone. <laughs> I think we are the, uh, the last panel between uh, daylight and drink, so we will, uh, we'll bring the house down. So thank you so much for, for staying. You guys have been very diligent. Um, uh, one of my favorite lines is that uh, opportunities live between fields of expertise, and I find myself really enjoying spending time at those intersections. Uh, it's one of the reasons I've always loved FinTech, because I've always viewed it more as a horizontal than a vertical. Uh, and so that's the theme of this, uh, this panel, is uh, FinTech and other industries. And I'm joined by two great entrepreneurs who I have the pleasure of working with, Matt Calvano from Adaptive and Christoph uh, Riemann from Juniper, uh, who you know, both reflect kind of two interesting vertical software businesses that uh, come from both the construction and the healthcare industries. So maybe I'll give you guys a chance to kind of introduce yourselves, describe a little bit about what each of your companies do, um, and maybe the answer to the question, do you view yourselves more as a vertical software business in your industry or as a fintech company? Cool. Yep. So Matt Calvano, good to meet everybody. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Um, so my background before this was in finance, finance and real estate. So first job was banking at Morgan Stanley, and I was in the real estate group. And then I worked in private equity at KSL Capital, in KSL's real estate private equity firm, also some uh, operating private equity. So finance and real estate background. Went to Stanford for business school uh, and met my co-founders there, and that led to Adaptive. So Adaptive, our customers are small to medium-sized real estate developers, home builders, general contractors, we have some subcontractors as well. And our product does three things for them. Helps automate their bookkeeping, which can be pretty onerous in construction. Manage cash flow, which is critical, and then helps them with payments to all their vendors. Um, and then to answer the question, I would say, when we first did the seed round with David, we thought the business would be much more FinTech. And when I say FinTech, I mean the monetization model would be primarily FinTech. Uh, since then, we've become much more software, and I think that was just the result of how software works. You get out there and you build something for your customers, and they ask you to build more, and the willingness to pay like grows as you build more features, and then we've definitely taken that path. I would say that we're very excited, since our product touches all the financial workflows, about embedding financial products, but right now, much more software. Hey everybody, I'm Christoph. Um, I originally started actually as a uh, crypto guy. Um, I'm not sure <laughs> David even knew that um, back in 2011. 
Um, ended up at McKinsey specifically to do payments related work uh, and ended up working on a payments and healthcare project um, for a large scale hospital system. Um, there realized that the payment opportunity uh, and billing opportunity in healthcare was actually massive. There was just so much uh, work to be done and spent the next couple of years doing exclusively healthcare work to the point that by the time I left McKinsey, I thought of myself as a healthcare guy. And unlike uh, Matt, I thought there was no fintech, fintech opportunity in the vertical that we were uh, choosing, which was uh, behavioral health to begin with. Uh, we thought of ourselves as just admin automation for behavioral health companies. The interesting thing was, kind of non-obviously, as we spent more time with these clinics, um, they only thought about their admin in terms of how do they get paid, right? So they literally were viewed it as the only, or the only thing that would get them paid. And so the more time we spent with them, the more we realized this is actually much more of a fintech uh, product than we thought. Um, today, we spend basically 100% of our time um, helping our clinics with billing and payments. Um, we still do all of their admin, but now that turns out that's all billing and payments related. So um, yeah, I, I would say we are very much both. <laughs> awesome. Maybe you guys can each kind of describe the why now for your respective companies. Like what, what's true today in your respective industries that wasn't true maybe five years ago, and, and why is this kind of the right time to be building you know, these, these companies? Yeah, from our perspective, um, I think we, we can only automate uh, what, what's predictable. And, and the really interesting thing about behavioral health is it's extremely predictable. It's the same session happening um, from an admin perspective every single week. Um, recurring care as a whole, which is the segment that we're targeting overall, same sessions happening at least once a month. Um, the interesting thing there is those segments weren't reimbursable by insurance until um, Obamacare, basically. Uh, so until basically 10 years ago, there was no opportunity here. Um, and then overnight, you know, there were thousands of SMBs founded um, in order to create uh, uh, services around these, these um, opportunities and no technology has existed yet. So that's, that's why we are able to um, actually have an opportunity. Um, so I'd say for us, I'd say two things. First is kind of the infrastructure available and second, change in the industry. Uh, on the infrastructure piece, if you're building anything vertical, obviously the way you win for your customers is like a workflow user-facing piece of the software that like really solves their problems. Uh, but to do that, especially since you know we're helping them with like things I mentioned, such as cash flow or their bookkeeping, you need to pull a lot of like underlying infrastructure together. So I think the ability to like make payments kind of off the shelf, connect to all their bank accounts, uh, connect to their accounting software easily, et cetera. Uh, has enabled us to kind of come out of the gates and focus mostly on the really critical features uh, beyond even just like the fin fintech infrastructure, all these developer tools um, as well that exist. And then the second piece, the industry-related piece, uh, there was a lot of price volatility in construction over the past few years, and it caused a lot of businesses to shift their pricing model from fixed price to kind of like a reimbursable pricing model where it's cost plus, so basically you know, you're my client and I'm building something for you. I say, I have no idea really what this is gonna cost, so I'll charge you whatever it costs me plus a markup. And what that does is it changes the bookkeeping process from something you should do to something you have to do because that's the only way you're gonna get reimbursed. So it's made a lot of uh, customers much more focused on this piece of their business and has helped with us go to market quite a bit. Cool. So, I mean, the theme of this panel is, is you know, basically embedded fintech. So maybe, I don't know, Christoph, if you can go into a bit more detail on 
uh, you know, recurring healthcare or, or maybe autism specifically, and why that industry and, and what you're building kind of create the opportunity to layer in fintech products into your business? Yeah, I think the you would traditionally expect to be, you know, paid for your services. <laughs> and in healthcare, that's not something that is actually very regular, right? You don't know if you're going to get paid. And even when, if you do get paid, you don't know if that's going to be in five days or 50 days or in some case, literally a thousand plus days. Um, it, it, it takes for, you know, you to go back and forth with the insurance company around adjudication. And what that means is if you don't have a good admin process, if you don't have a good billing and payments process, uh, you have no visibility into your cash flow whatsoever. You cannot plan. Um, and, and so most of these clinics have to stay very small for a very long time because they cannot plan around um, their, their cash flow. Um, from our perspective, we help our clinics get paid a lot faster, um, a lot more predictably, and uh, just collect a lot more from insurance companies, which you know, right off the bat allows them to actually act like most businesses do rather than you know, kind of just shooting in the dark. Um, and from there, you know, it also allows us, we see basically all of their revenue to uh, extend them things like, you know, uh, working capital if they need it um, in order to expand their, their um, business further. Uh, if they're deciding whether or not to open a new clinic because we see all of their revenue, we can determine, what, you know, what the growth story looks like, whether or not it makes sense for us to extend them capital to actually be able to open that new clinic um, and so on and so forth. It's, it's really just about visibility into their uh, into their. Um, cash flow. Yeah, I mean, Matt, you, you mentioned initially you thought you would be more fintech, you become kind of more vertical software. I guess, how do you sort of see the opportunity to layer in financial products in Adaptive's business? Um, yeah, so <clears throat> I think this is actually kind of an interesting example of um, like why you need like the, the vertical approach to a lot of these financial problems. Like his was cash flow, I'd say mine's also cash flow, but our products obviously, like I don't think he could sell his behavioral health software <laughs> to my construction companies. Uh, so we, uh, one of the products that we have is like essentially helping you with that, what I discussed earlier, the cost plus mechanism of like, I have to collect all my bills from subcontractors over the course of a month and then I need to essentially take that times my markup and create an invoice to send to my client. Uh, what that means is all those subcontractors say like, the subcontractor sends you the bill at the first of the month but you don't request the invoice from the client until the 30th of the month, you're gonna have to wait until that one batch invoice. So the subcontractor is kind of waiting a while to get paid. By sitting, um, sitting there and knowing that, we can offer product to, you know, one example, the subcontractor say, hey, you're not gonna get paid for 45 days, but you can get paid today and we'll give you, uh, you know, an early pay, early pay discount. So I think that's like one very obvious uh, financial product that we will certainly layer in. I think there are a few others um, as well. Yeah, I was thinking back as you guys were talking on, on I guess the last time I spoke at this conference was I was running a fintech company called Bond Street, which was in the small business lending space. And I wrote an article a, a few months ago, basically about some of the challenges that we had running that business, which was um, why I now believe it's really important to lead with software when building a lending business. And I think both of these guys sort of described some of those lessons, which is um, our biggest challenge was finding those small business customers at that transactional point of intent. Right, both understanding who we could approve and then finding them when they actually needed that, that working capital at that very specific point in time. And so you think small businesses and this, you know, this very kind of big ecosystem, but when you narrow it down, you know, who fits within your credit box and then you narrow it down again, you know, when that small business owner needs $150,000 to open up that next location or to hire those employees or buy that piece of equipment, you know, the funnel narrows really quickly and, that, and customer acquisition goes way up. And so if you have, a software product that allows you 
you know, visibility into the financials of that small business uh, or into their cash flow cycle, as these guys described, you can much more effectively push, you know, a loan as opposed to waiting for that small business owner to apply. And importantly, you don't get negatively selected in the process. So, you know, in, in Juniper's case, for example, right, they're, they're basically providing billing software to behavioral health clinics. They're processing effectively 100% of the cash flow of that clinic, right? So they can see what is the statistical probability of repayment for each service that is delivered. And importantly, they can extend, as he described, working capital back to that provider. Um, either, you know, factor the entire, you know, base of, of invoices that are, that are submitted or push, you know, specific to the invoices that he knows are most, you know, most likely to get repaid instead of being negatively selected by having somebody come to you and only factor the invoice that, you know, they don't think they, they may get repaid on. So building kind of closed loop ecosystems in many ways is sort of solving a lot of the problems that we had at Bond Street and uh, one of the reasons I was very excited to, uh, to work with these guys. Okay, that was my rant. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, rapid fire questions. Um, what piece of infrastructure do you wish existed that would make building at this intersection easier? Maybe, yeah, go for it. Yeah, I think for me, definitely um, payer interaction just across the board. Today we interact with payers uh, by calling them, faxing them, emailing them, mailing them, like uh, I'm trying to think of what else we do. I, it, basically, if it exists, we're, we're, we're using it. Um, I feel like we had to build all of this infrastructure just to build a business on top of it. Um, it's very clear that, you know, interacting with healthcare insurance companies, to me, should be a, a business in the future. Um, <clears throat> probably the best uh, thing I could, I could wish for would be, like, a, a universal accounting API to all the ERPs. I know, like, Kodat and Rudder uh, are trying to do this, but they are not deep enough for a lot of like the vertical use cases. Um, there's actually a company called Agave that's trying to do this specifically for construction, so we'll see if they deliver on it, but that would certainly be my uh, top request because we spent a lot of time with uh, QuickBooks desktop. <laughs> cool. Um, and what's been the hardest thing to kind of get up to speed on when exploring building at the intersection of FinTech and your respective industry? So since we've been more software focused, we, we haven't, um, done a ton, I would say, on the fintech side, but we did for a while explore um, rolling out a charge card for our customers, and the compliance, I would say, associated with that uh, can be a lot to learn quickly. Um, we wanted to get something out um, fast, and so we didn't want it to be considered a lending product, so we were exploring like a merchant cash advance structure, and there seemed to be a lot of gray area, and so I would say the compliance piece of things. Yeah, for us, I think it's... Um um, very much that fintech and healthcare are both areas that have a ton of edge cases. I would say, you know, each has 30 to 40% of the work you, that you see on any given day is, is an edge case. And so actually automating that takes a very long time. And, and um, yeah, I, that knowledge base has taken a very long time for us to build up. Uh, and maybe we'll, I don't know, cl close quickly with what are one or a couple things you're most excited about kind of in your business in the next year or two? So I'd say like what is what has uh, I guess gone well for us so far is just listening to our customers. We've grown our customer base quite a bit recently, so we have um, a ton of users on the platform. So I think it'll be exciting and challenging to start to manage all the feedback um, at scale and start incorporating that into our product development process. But that's certainly what I'm excited for in the year ahead. 
I think um, we have some major tailwinds in our industry as a whole, which is really exciting. Um, supply has not come close to catching up with demand in behavioral health as a whole. And, and you know, over the next two to three years, I expect to see massive growth. I mean, from the patient side, that's amazing. Um, and that patient, uh, a huge number of patients will be receiving behavioral health services that didn't exist for them um, a year ago. Uh, from our side, that's also amazing because it, it allows us to, to grow um, much more quickly. But it's, it's uh, across the board very exciting. Awesome. Happy to answer any questions if folks have it. Otherwise, we're happy to get, let you go to drinks. <laughs> What's still doing missing on your teams right now? Like these teams um, I think the, the top skill we were missing recently was a really good product designer. Because the more you know, you build into the product, the more complicated it gets for the user. Um, and I think things can start to unravel pretty quickly uh, if someone's not like thinking holistically about holding it all together. So that was a huge focus of mine. I mean, we tried to recruit a good product designer for six months, and we actually just hired someone. She started last week. Um, so that was that was the big uh, big gap for us. I think for us, it's uh, software engineers that are really willing to roll up their sleeves and dive into the edge cases, right? It's painful work to like, like you, you basically have to do the ops work as a software engineer to actually understand how to automate it, right? And, and that's something that, you know, I don't think every software engineer is, is will, willing or wants to do. And, you know, more power to them for sure. That, that's not a fun work for, for everyone. Um, but we've been very, very deliberate about we don't want to be a services business. There are a lot of edge cases. We don't want to solve them with humans. And that means we need a very specific type of uh, software engineer there. Um, so, it's a good question. I guess it's like effort uh, relative to return. Um, I think the two examples you made are, are pretty good ones. I think it would be pretty difficult to like set up our own um, lending operation, right? And like think about all the effort required into putting that together. And then if you think about the end like use case of a lending product, like naturally that's not specific just to my customer base. What is specific to our customer base is the you know like user facing software that we're building. So in that case, it's like all right, I can spend all this time and effort building this, but then it's going to be amortized over like you know 10% of like the addressable customers out there. So it seems to make more sense to partner. With the card example you gave, uh, I think like s some of these products are like easy enough to roll off the shelf, like the like a debit card for example isn't necessarily like that challenging and actually it'd be probably harder to go partner with like Amex and have some sort of integration with Amex because they're this big organization and like building that all out can be quite challenging. So I think it like it depends on the on the use case. If it's simple enough, then go ahead and do it, but otherwise probably focus on, you know, really what differentiates us.
Yeah, from our perspective, I think it's it's similar in that we really uh, want to, we, we actually partner pretty aggressively with a lot of different different um, companies, but you know, there are some instances where us building it ourselves can create a uniquely better experience for our, uh, for our providers, our, our clinics, right? An example of that is actually, you know, factoring, right? We've already, we're already building, a, you know, functionally a collections agency, right? Collecting from insurance companies, like, and the provider's already paying us for that. You know, they're, they're paying us to, to collect on their behalf, so it makes sense that we can, you know, we see all this data, that means we can offer them better terms than anyone else can. We can actually um, make that meaningfully better. Um, and so that, so that is something that, you know, we've, we've invested a lot in in-house, but otherwise, I think, across the board, if we can partner, we, we do try to. We're, we're still early stage. We don't want to, you know, reinvent the wheel if we don't have to. Um, so when we started, I think I think the uh, like it, it, there's like different. I guess there's like a spectrum of like partnering, right? There, like in lending, for example, it could be like literally lead gen, just send it off to a, a lender and say, uh, hey, this client wants a loan, and here's some data on them. Like you know, full partnering, and then like somewhere in between where you do some of it yourself and you outsource some of it. Uh, I think we were fully aware of like the fintech monetization opportunities that could come through that when we first started the companies. Yeah, I, I think, you know, us on the other hand, we weren't necessarily thinking about charge cards, right? Like, are we going to build charge cards today? We don't have charge cards, but are we going to build them today? Certainly not, right? Like, is it something that our clinics probably could generate a lot of value on? Yes. Like, would we partner? Definitely. At the beginning, I, I think, makes a lot of sense for us. So um, that is incremental revenue that we hadn't considered. Sorry, to repeat the question, you said, how is the dry, drying up of a wholesale debt market impacted? Exactly, impacted your promises to deliver like, credit to existing and new customers, so to grow existing customers, but also to acquire new customers. Um, so we, we don't currently have any like, credit products um, in, our, in our business, so that hasn't um, affected our ability to deliver on any promises. Um, I guess I would say, like, generally, if you're serving construction, there's, like, a slowdown in, uh, you know, the debt markets generally. Probably there won't be as many projects built. Uh, that hasn't affected us yet, but, you know, if the debt markets remain closed, that could be difficult. I think in our case, it definitely, you know, we, we signed some deals earlier last year that, you know, we had to, to or we will have to renew, and we're, we're already starting to discuss with them um, at much higher terms, right? And, 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 you know, it does create unhappiness. It does mean that they are less, you know, they're, in one case in particular, because this is something that we just started piloting last year at around this time, you know, in one case, you know, they're looking to reduce their reliance on working capital, uh, uh, drawing down extra working capital um, as a result of that, for sure. Uh, but the, the truth is, in our market, a lot of these folks don't have necessarily access to capital to begin with. And so, you know, having access through us is extremely beneficial to them anyways, and, and, and we actually, have, for new customers, have not found that to be an issue at all. Just, yeah. Any other questions? Awesome. Thanks so much for sticking around. We appreciate it.